Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Phil Craig. And I'm Andrew Loney. And together we aim to bring you the most scandalous stories and some of the most scandalous people in history. So thanks for joining us here on the Scandalmongers podcast. Hey, Andrew. Hello, how nice to see you. And we've got exciting news this week, I think. We're beginning to see some pickup in our subscriptions. We are. We're no longer a baby pod. We're a teenage pod. It's our 16th episode we're stroppy teenagers um and yes people have been seeing adverts coming up and i've had a few emails saying you guys must be rolling in money (laughs) before we launch into this show i just want to say a little secret of the podding industry anybody who's interested on youtube you don't get any money at all as the creator of content until you get that magic number one thousand subscribers andrew how many do we have I think we have about close to 330. It's 420. 420, great. It's going up. It's going up. So we're nearly there. Well, we're nearly halfway there. Um, and so seriously, anybody, if you love the show, like the show, occasionally drop into the show on YouTube, uh, please tr- click the little subscribe button. It doesn't cost you a penny. You can uh, turn off any notifications so we're not emailing you all the time, and it would make a difference. Um, I think what's fascinating is that people are coming to one show and then they're moving on and seeing, listening to other shows because, yeah. they, I mean, clearly there are other subjects that interest them. It's not just the one subject. And I think also we're very keen for people to give us ideas of what they want to listen to uh, and scandals that, that they would like a bit more detail on or indeed people we should be talking to. Yes, I think, in fact, a couple of our shows have already resulted um, from those sort of emails. So do stay in touch. Anyway... Um, let's not talk about the sordid business of money. Let's talk about the not-so-sordid business of Queen Camilla. Are you ready for Queen Camilla, Andrew? I am, yes. Very timely. We're coming up to the coronation. Uh, She's now a sort of national treasure, but I think a lot of people forget that at one point that was not the case. It's one of those crazy British stories, isn't it? Um, I think we sort of enjoy the royal soap opera, perhaps a little bit too much for our psychological welfare, For many, many years, she was seen as a terrible person. She was 
Well, legend has it, she was a, a kind of shouted at in the streets and people threw bread rolls at her at a supermarket. But I think some of those stories were just legends and not facts. But she was certainly widely um, unpopular in opinion polls um, during Diana's life and after Diana died for the first few years. And I think she was seen to have, uh, in a sense, destroyed the marriage between Charles and Diana. I don't think that's quite right. But um, uh, certainly she was a very unpopular figure. And there were people who took sides. You know, you're either for Camilla or for Diana. Yeah. Yeah. And I think things have moved on since then. I think there's, it's a bit more nuanced the, the way that people look at that relationship. And I think also because she's behaved extremely well, she's been discreet. She's been, uh, dedicated to public service. She makes the king happy. I think there's been a real sea change in public opinion. Mm, I, I, I have to agree. Um, I'm not sure all my friends or relatives would, but I have to agree. And in a minute, we're going to be talking to a real expert, um, one of the great stars of the famous British royal press pack, Rob Jobson, who I've known for 20-odd years. I think you must have known him for even long, longer. Long time. And he's broken a lot of stories. I mean, he's a very good journalist. He's a very good journalist. In fact, he was the person who first reported that Camilla and Charles were going to marry, sort of whenever that was, 2005 or something. Um, so he got that scoop. He's obviously got great connections. Um, and I remember working with Rob when I did my series uh, 20 odd years ago about Diana. And, um, you know, he, he was one of those kind of like, how would you, how would you describe them? Um, sort of hardworking, old fashioned journalists who would sit down with a notebook and get amazing stories. Um, so we'll hear from him. Yeah. But I, I'd like to go back, just, I'd like to go back just a little bit to the kind of Camilla, the beginning of the Camilla story, because I think a lot of the reason people are people are sort of sceptical or suspicious is they have this sense of her as a kind of conniving, intriguing woman who um, did her best to undermine Diana and Charles's marriage. And of course, it, it was nothing like that simple. She was, of course, with Charles before he even met Diana and had been for years. And he's, she'd happily shared Charles in that kind of very... 19th century liaison dangerous world they seem to live in, where she would even apparently be friends with some of Charles's other lovers, who were also married to him, as she were. And, of course, and her, her husband, husband, of course, had been the lover of Princess Anne. I mean, it's a very incestuous world. It is. They're all having affairs. They're all meeting in country houses. It's all very sophisticated. And into this world blunders Diana. Now, we've talked about her a lot. I never believed that she was as innocent in, the, uh, in that world as she, as she perhaps later made out. But she was certainly more innocent than Camilla was. And then there are the famous stories of they met and, and they sort of manoeuvred around each other. And apparently Camilla asked her at this famous lunch before the wedding, will you, when you come to the country, will you hunt? And Diana later on thought that was code for, do you mind sharing him when he's in the country? pursuing the traditional country pleasures, um, one of which is hunting. <laughs> well, also, I mean, he was giving Camilla jewellery on the eve of the wedding and things. I mean, there's stories about the Gladys and, and Fred bracelet, isn't it? That's right. And I'm sure we'll talk about this with Rob. We all know they, Camilla and Charles restarted their relationship. Dan, Diana and her friends never believed they stopped. I suspect they did for a while, but they were always in touch and if you were a suspicious person, and I think Diana became that quite quickly, it didn't necessarily matter if they were sleeping together, if he was always on the phone to her or with her or looking to her for support. 
Um, I mean, this is a fascinating human story, in some ways a sort of tragedy, because, um, you know, here was a great love affair, which for reasons of state or uh, and the job he, he couldn't engage in. I mean, he couldn't marry her or he missed marrying her when he perhaps had an opportunity. But I mean, what are the repercussions constitutionally? I mean, here she is, she's giving him a huge amount of emotional and I think intellectual support. She's a very important stabilizing figure in the, in the monarchy, really, over the last 20 years. I agree. If we're going to have a monarchy, then we're going to have Charles. And if we're going to have Charles, we may as well have Camilla because she obviously is very good for him. And I think that's kind of where the great British public sit. And you'd have to be very arrogant to try and ventriloquize an entire nation. But fortunately, I am that arrogant. And I think that's what that's what people think. You know, we've moved on. She makes him happy. Deal with it. And I mean, what are the stories? Because I mean, you came across a lot when you researched Diana. Uh, you know, what was the narrative in the 1990s and, and, and up to the wedding? Well, there is this period, I've talked about it before, where I think there was a kind of arrangement. It was never perfect. And this was a good three or four years when they kind of, sh- they kind of had separate courts, separate relationships, Charles and Diana, I mean, and separate love affairs. Um, Charles had Camilla. I don't think he had anybody else by then, although he had earlier. Um, and that was a pretty stable time, um, you know, in, in, in the marriage and in, in, in the relationship. And they were both quite successful in, that, in terms of their public duties. Of course, they had the boys to bring them together and various tours. But when it all started to go wrong, when the tapes came out and books came out, I think Camilla did manoeuvre herself a little bit. You know, we've talked before about how she formed a relationship with certain journalists I think she probably thought, my time is now coming. And certainly after Diana's death, there was this famous thing, Operation PB, where a lot of effort was made to, 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 to put Camilla in a very positive light and sadly put Diana in a very not positive light. I mean, until the divorce, I mean, there was no, I mean, that, that was the end of the story, presumably for her. But after the divorce, as you say, you felt that there was some... Uh, manoeuvring to to feel that there were opportunities there. I mean, well, I, want to, I want to ask Rob the this, chance yeah. to be back with the man that she loved. Yes, indeed. I want to ask Rob this because there must have come a point when she thought, "Well, maybe I can be queen." Do I want to be queen? You know, in some ways, the the, the role of supportive mistress might have suited her better uh, than having to kind of deal with twenty four seven business of being a full time royal. I don't know. Be, I Sounds like Wallace, Wallace actually. Wallace wanted to be the mistress rather than than, than, than anything else. Well, that, that's my question to you, Andrew. Do you see a Wallace-Camilla parallel at all? No, no. I think they're very different personalities. They come from very different backgrounds. You know, I think, uh, and I think the relationship uh, between the principals is very different. Uh, I don't think Wallace ever loved Edward, whereas I think Camilla did love uh, Charles. Uh, I think she's she's a very different character. She's very easygoing. I think actually she probably didn't want to be queen. I mean, she'd be very happy being in the country, but she steps up to the mark because that is what's expected of her. And I don't think Wallace ever thought that. Wallace was in it just entirely for herself, whereas Camilla, I think, does have a very strong sense of noblesse oblige. Interesting. That's very wise from you, Andrew. You sound surprised. No, no, it's, it's, I think you're right. I think you're right, actually. I think there is a big difference. And I think there's no way that she was ever a kind of gold digger. Um, yeah. In fact, if anything, she probably, one stage early on in the relationship, was, was actually wary of getting too close to Charles because she, she probably knew he was quite a handful um, and yeah. needs a lot of support. Um, you know, we've all seen his little temper tantrums um, over, the, over the years. He can't be the easiest man to live with or love. 
No. Well, it'd be interesting to see, you know, we're, we're coming up to the coronation and just to see, you know, the role that she plays and how people respond to her. Um, I mean, I hear she's been very good at trying to bring members of the family back into the fold. Uh, I'm doing this book on Andrew and, and, and Fergie at the moment, and Fergie's been invited back to, to family occasions. I think she's a sort of healing figure. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, clearly that that's what they need at the moment. There's clearly a lot of tensions going on. And I think she has this great ability to get on with people and bring people together. So I think she's a jolly good thing. All right. Well, um, enough of us speculating in our various living rooms. Let's go to somebody who's actually on the front line of rural reporting. And, and knows what he's talking about. Probably knows what he's talking about more than us. <laughs> Let's go to Rob. Uh, Rob, welcome to our scandalous little world. Well, it, I'm sure it's very scandalous, but it doesn't seem that scandalous, Phil, because I know you're a man who hankers after the truth more than me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm not used to flattery this early in the morning. But... <laughs> well, Rob, I'm sure Rob's books are uh, hankers are hanker of the truth as well. But, I mean, it's an extraordinary story, really. Camilla has sort of won the hearts of the British nation, hasn't she, having been this most hated woman? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the stories that I remember... Um, about Camilla was sort of fake anyway. You know, the stuff about the bread rolls completely made up. And it really did irritate the king that this actually was out there. That was actually a, a tabloid sc um, scam with an actress. But other things such as um, the fact that um, that uh, you know, he, he was had Camilla smuggled into the palace the night before his wedding or even that she was on the royal train or was it Diana? All of these things were made up and it absolutely used to infuriate the king. I remember in the book I did a, a, a Charles at 70 that a lot of that stuff, a couple of bits were in there. And it really even years after the death of Diana, that whole escapade about the uh, fact that he was supposed to have smuggled um, smuggled a the Diana aboard the train which led to letters going in and out of the time and some Mrs. Sean Kidd and about her honour was all nonsense. It was actually the wife of a private secretary coming on the royal train to see her husband, who was yeah. a blonde. And it, what happened was, I think one of the one of the people guarding the train rang the Daily Mirror or the Sunday Mirror, and Bush. It was on the papers, and it led actually to a train of events that put the king or the Prince of Wales, as he he was then, in a, in a situation where, and that's what led to his father saying, "Well, you can't." carry this on you know either you're gonna to have to marry this girl or let her go even though he didn't really know diana at all he barely knew her and so it was a real problem for him it really used to annoy him many years later because you know he 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 really he, he thinks everyone talks about him and he blames his parents he was forced into marriage but actually back there the tabloid press had a lot more power than it even does now and uh because there were less media organizations and and, and and he feels he was pretty much steamrolled into the whole wedding. That's so interesting. But, so the, t the tabloids started the story, and in a way, they kind of finished inaccurately, it. Inaccurately, they got it completely wrong. Forced him into marriage. But isn't this pretty much so, I mean, he said he was stuck between the actual expression that he said to very close friends was that he felt uh, he, was, he was stuck between the devil and the deep blue sea. And, and so he couldn't... Um, he, he just couldn't see a way. Not that he was trying to necessarily find a way out, but he 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 regrets not being strong enough to call time on the relationship. That's but so isn't this one of the problems that the royal reporting is 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 is, is uh, most people know nothing about the subject who write about it. And I mean, you've got thirty years experience. You've built up a lot of contacts. You've I'm got still to know nothing. the principles. <laughs> so, well, 
you're probably better than most. But is that not one of the problems that so there's so much rubbish talk which has no real no basis in reality at all? I actually think in those days of um, the palace saying no comment, no comment, no comment, which you can um, remember. I remember Phil doing that extra documentary that he did and and the book that he did at the time. The, the point of it is that was that reign was no comment, no comment. Most of the journalists knew about what things were going on. I mean, I must even in the 1990 when I started the talks of the affairs and all the things remember they weren't public knowledge they weren't public knowledge but they were known amongst the journalists it was just you couldn't get it in the paper because you know I remember going to a polo match and Prince Charles was riding out hard against James Hewitt and the commentator was saying look at these two go for each other and it was all you know but everyone I think in the polo set and the journalists knew that this was the husband and the lover but nobody in the general public in Scarborough or Hull or Edinburgh or whatever had a clue. So it was, it was, I think that the journalists did know. And I think some of them in those days were pretty much more, they were certainly better informed, even though it was a bit like the Wild West. Like, I think that the, the, the people in the Royal Rotor, the journalists and colleagues that I know are pretty well informed. But I think the papers have changed dramatically in terms of their, their bottle, really. Is this Leveson? Oh, without a doubt, and without the whole thing. And, you know, the way that the journalists, some of the journalists would obtain their information, of course, years ago um, in certain areas was just the Wild West. But, you know, well, pre... Just, let's just go back. The phone tapping, remember, that, remember all of these things, um, the, the phones and things like that, you know, they were until about 2003, certain things weren't legal, weren't, Legal, you know, whatever. But all I can say is, all I remember is, I've always stuck to the basis that if you can speak to someone off, you know, off the record, get the information stood up. That's how I did Charles to marry Camilla, and I got it right. We never even put that to the palace. That story, you know, there was no need to have any nonsense. And sort of I mean, I, I can even operate a propelling pencil. So I'm not sure all these people do all this technology. Well, I'd, lo- I'd love to Frankly, get your take on Camilla, though, Rob. I'd love your take on her. I really like her. I think she's a a great woman. I think actually, we've got to look now from since I broke that story that Charles was to marry Camilla, big scoop, got the scoop of the year. That even then, there were a lot of people really not happy about this at all. There were, you know, the day of the wedding, there were people in the crowds, you know, with black cards up, shouting and screaming. They were asked to take them down. But over the last 17 years or so, I think she's done a terrific job. I think. I think that she certainly has supported the, the, the Prince of Wales as he was, the king now, ably. Um, and really, you know, he's a different man with her at, um, you know, with her at his side. He's more comfortable. He's more relaxed. Look, I think that, that when the Queen said that I want her to be Queen Consort and that was put on the record, that was a big moment. I think that really got a lot of people to say, well, if the Queen, it's good enough for the Queen, it's good enough for me. Behind the scenes, I think when you go on the flights and I mean on the you know the royal flights with them, she will always come back. She knows the journalists by their first name. She'll always interact. She's I don't know, in terms of his public relations, the king has done a terrific job, and she understands really what, if the photographers are looking for a picture, you know the king's not going to be looking to give you a picture. It's just not going to happen. You know, but she would do things to make things happen. She realizes everybody has a job to do. And she's done a terrific job, in my opinion. A lot of people say, oh, well, you know, you're bought into it in that respect. But have a look at when he had the, he lost his temper in Ireland when that pen was leaking all over the place. Who was it who came to the rest? She came to the rest, who calmed him down, oh, got yeah. hold of the pen, handed it to the copper. And I think that, that as a, 
in a, a role like being the king or the queen, as the queen said herself, you do need someone you can kick your shoes off at the end of the day and have a laugh with. And that's exactly what he Yeah, had sure. And of course, with Diana, it was never like that for all sorts of reasons. There was a competition. That we know about. Challenged was a competition. him. She annoyed him. He annoyed her. I'd love to know your take on Camilla before all this, when she was, you know, maybe manoeuvring, or, or was she manoeuvring in those years of the marriage? You know, I, I spoke to Higgins. Um, and I was amazed to discover, this is the editor of The Sun at the time, that she had a weekly conversation with him on the phone. Was she kind of cute and manoeuvring, or was she just there waiting to support well, Charles? Well, that just shows you that Stuart was probably more cute and manoeuvring than she was, I should think. He was based down in uh, the West Country. He was a very persuasive chap. I worked for him and really liked Stuart. But, you know, I don't think she was manoeuvring to become the Queen. Far from it. I think that she um, had a relationship. After... When Harry was born, she had a relationship, and she probably thought it was wise for her own reputation and sanity to have a relationship or have a friend in the um, you know the, the, the wild west world of the tabloids. Because sometimes you do need the editor of the most powerful communication open. You know? He was the editor of the most powerful tabloid at a time, as you say, when tabloids. I think they started really that relationship, that friendship, when he was the West Country. With Oh, really? So she trusted him and knew him for a long time. So it's not, I mean, as I say, the back doors of communication are not a bad thing to have if you with your enemies. Keep them close. And I think that shows that she's quite canny. Um, and no, I don't think she was plotting to be the queen. In fact, I think far from it. She used to like a smoke and a drink and she'd probably like to, you know, just be enjoy her life. But, you know, I, don't, I can't imagine when she was, say, 55, she would be particularly thinking of, going on state visit, or well, the state visit's just been cancelled to France because they're all going to retire at 60, which would wipe the three of us out nearly. But the, the, <laughs> the, point, of it, the point of it is, is um, I think she would have been quite happy to be... She can't, I, I mean, I can't imagine she saw herself being queen and carrying on working at 75, 76 years old, which she's having to do now. So you and were around when, when the tapes came out. You you were working, I was, yeah, yeah. And, and that was such a pivotal moment. And to have a, the most intimate stories and, and conversations that put in the public domain, I'm sure yeah. at, the t- at the time a lot of us thought that's it. They, it. This relationship has to end, but clearly it didn't. And maybe that's admirable. They just thought, well, we'll we're thick skinned. Well, what? How much worse well, can yeah. it be? Well, I remember it. I mean, I was a young, I was fairly young, and of course, even though I was raw reporter of the Sun, there was so much going on. You had Andrew Morton's book coming out, and that was way above my head. That was in the Sunday Times, and deals were done with Stuart Higgins, who was deputy editor of the Sun. I remember being in a room when Kelvin McKenzie walked in with Rupert Murdoch, and I was standing over Stuart's shoulder, and he, we were typing away doing the story. And all Murdoch said was, you know, shouldn't that be the other way around? You know, I think which I thought that they got me, you know, bollocking from Stuart because it made him look bad. But the fact was, you know, I love him to pieces. That he was having to do a lot of. They were doing some of this at a much higher level. So, you know, things like the tapes that was all being done way above my head. I would just be, I would just be told to write this or do that. But I remember with the tapes, I was sent to Oxford to go and, Oxford, yeah, also Oxford because I went to Oxford. I remember going there and collecting a, a tape or something, a recording or interviewing somebody. But there were three tapes, you know, all of the same recording from different people. That was the point. That, that oh. Somebody at UCHQ or somewhere was punting the stuff out on a loop. Because all these people at that time, when there wasn't the sophistication in phone, mobile phone 
mobile phones that you know these people could pick it up and sit in their sheds scanning weirdos as the word you know picking up information and then that was going out on a loop and so you're saying GCHQ were involved or is this just I, I, I don't know but someone was punting that out on a loop because the same recording I can tell you it was the same recording was going when that was picked up by three different people at different times I mean that's a big story if if, if the intelligence services are colluding against the monarchy well I, well I don't know it was them, but if you remember what was going on at the time, GCHQ were in dispute about pay, I think, or, or conditions. And maybe it was just a disgruntled person who thought something picked this up and something was put out. But something went out on it. All I know, factually, now it could have been anyone putting out on a loop, but it seems odd that this particular conversation was going was being recorded by these radio hands in, was there an uh, inquiry into this? I mean, presumably. Well, no, really, but, but it was all just hushed up and moved, the, never moved on. Look at the calls that came out. Look at the recordings that came out. There was the the, the Charles and, Di- and Camilla call. There was the the, um, the the Squidgy Gate tapes with Diana and uh, Hewitt. Then there was even a tape recording with F- Prince Philip and. Penny Romsey, I think, as well. So, you know, th- there was some odd things going on at that time. So whether it was a disgruntled employee, who knows? But someone had access to it. Gosh. What was I'm, in the, pe- Peter, the, the, the Romsey tape? Because, I mean, I've never heard of that. About that. Yeah. What was... well, no, there was a tape recording. Yeah, there was a call where I think he was. And, in fact, um, Norton is on the tape as well. It's not so affectionate or, or just friendly, should we say? Friendly, I'd say friendly. Yeah. So just a friend of the family. Well, it depends. You know, it depends which way you look at it, Andrew. I suppose, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but Norton was on the call as well, right? And, you know, he jumped into the call that time. They were, you know, they were married. Yeah, and I think he was just making a call. Yeah, but there were other, you know, other things going on. If you at that time, where you know, someone somewhere, some for some whatever reason, was pretty happy to damage the royal family. And no wonder Diana was quite scared. No wonder Diana was quite convinced, even though it's later been proved with all this stuff to do with, you know, Bashir and that. No wonder it was so easy for Bashir to turn around and scam her and say she was being listened to because, you know, (laughs) somewhere, somewhere, someone was conspiring to uh, clearly damage the royal family. And do you think that Diana committed the adultery first, and the, and the, uh, or was it just that the marriage had broken down and the king went back to to someone who gave him comfort? I think that, um, that when Diana said there were three people in the marriage, there were probably a lot more than that if she count her side of the story. But you know, the talk of Barry Manicky, uh them being discovered in a discovered in a compromising position certainly predated anything to do with the king and do I think that he was telling the truth when he said he was honourable he tried honourable until it had irretrievably broken down I do believe he was telling the truth yeah Yeah. I'm not well I mean we all have our different sources and mine are 20 years old and probably out of date certainly a lot of people felt even if he wasn't sleeping with Camilla he was spending an awful lot of time talking to her, maybe seeing her in those early years, which also There's sort of no fed, di- fed the paranoia of Diana. Yeah. But you're absolutely correct there. There's no doubt that um, uh, the, the king guards his friends very well. Uh, and she was very important 
to him. Um, as somebody to bounce, you know, we probably think that a mistress is, a, I don't know, maybe the whole idea of a mistress is someone who's this, um, you know, it's all about sex. You know, this is what we get with the MP, Tory MPs and Labour. You know, it's always, like, oh, and then they appear with a Tory wife at the gate. I mean, it's all about sex. You know, I don't get that that's the case necessarily with the king. I think if you remember the quick, Princess Diana was saying at the time, you know, we used to have you know, relations every three weeks, you know, it's like clockwork. Um, <laughs> was it important to him? As, was was Camilla as important for that reason? Yeah, we've got that rather, you know, um, silly conversation about tampons. But was it the most important thing at that time with him? I suspect, he, you know, she used to have to listen to his speeches about, you know, the sustainability. You know, well, to, that's key. I think place. that's... That's the key to the table. She was his partner. She was somebody. Yes. He, he, she was somebody that, you know, it was the love of his life. But they got each other. And I think that, you know, when you're having a conversation with your wife or, you know, some, the person that really matters to you, you know, it's not always about things that are, you know, you know, you know, it's not all a big sexual thing. The fact is, it's the, the, your life's partner. And I have no doubt that Camilla if they had met later in life, would have been, you know, and hadn't, um, and things had changed. I mean, I think you know, you've got to look at this love affair with women in three different ways. It was three different sections, and then they were like sliding doors. The first one, she didn't really, she was using him um, to get back at Andrew Parker Bowles, probably to win him back, because he was the dashing cavalry officer. And, and that, you know, Charles was a rather, you know, gawky prince. Yes, he was, but he was younger than her, and he was a little bit of fun. And and she won back. And when he was away at sea, she won back. She won him back. She won back uh, Andrew Parker Wilson and married him, which left Charles, I think the word expression was, he was, um, you know, he, in the, uh, that terrible feeling of emptiness. Oh. Then, of course, by the time he was um, Jack the Lad and going around being a bit more of an action man, she was married with two children. And then Andrew was away having affairs. And so then they re reignited this, effect, this relationship when she was a mother of two, so she's never going to be the queen, as far as she can see. And then later on, I do believe that he, he would carry on his friendship, but he was certainly not carrying on his relation, any you know physical relationship with Camilla once he married Diana. But it was pretty clear that that relationship with Diana, after two years, three years, was dead in the water. But there'd been a physical relationship um, while she was married with Camilla and Charles. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it only changed when he got married, basically. Yes. Yeah. There is also a period, Rob, a period sort of when Hewitt is around, I'm talking the mid-80s before the tapes come out, where it's never totally stable. But if you talk to the security people who are around them, Charles and Diana, there is a kind of understanding that they will sort of, you know, he'll, she'll spend time away with Hewitt, and Camilla will be around. No, 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 I true, that's true. That is absolutely true. But I mean, say eighty six onwards. I mean, yeah. Diana never truly accepted that Camilla uh, should be around her husband. I mean, there was a confrontation that you know I wrote the book Diana Close to God's Secret with Ken Wolf. You know Ken very well, and he was there when that amazing scene, if you can imagine it, almost is like a movie. You know, Diana they're at the they're in Ham at the the um, uh, party there. Diana says, "I'm coming to the party with you." They turn up, you know. Everyone's shocked because it's all of it's um, all of his set. Um, Camilla's there, 
Him and Charles go downstairs to hide away where the party's going. Diana calls for Ken out of the kitchen where he's probably having a quick bite to eat to confront Camilla and Charles. Charles backs off and she says to, to Diana, you know, you don't think I'm stupid. I know what you're doing. Why don't you leave my husband alone? But Camilla, who was obviously very confident in her position at that stage, turned around and said, well, you've got the children. What more do you want? And, of course, there's Ken trying to disappear up the stairs, thinking, I don't even want to be here. There's the Prince of Wales backing off. He doesn't want to be there. And then on the journey home, you know, she was in tears. And um, imagine, you know, that's all what was going on. So they knew what was going on, obviously, the, the, the bodyguards. And and I think when Ken first started, you know, she, she sat him down and explained that this was effectively just the arrangement. So they had separate worlds. But... The world didn't know that. And in fact, if you go to look at, say, the trip they made to Hungary, they, it was a hell of an act they put on together. You know, they looked pretty happy. Um, yes, it worked for a while. It, I think the tapes destabilised everything. Oh, the, I, you know, I think Diana was quite happy to a degree to carry on until she got to the point where, she, well, until Diana, her true story with Andrew Morton, when she wanted out. Yeah, yeah. But of course, because, I mean, Andrew's book's a brilliant book. I always say that when I'm, um, you know, not your Andrew, though I do say many of his books are brilliant too. I'd say <laughs> that Andrew Morton is a brilliant book, um, but it is the most one-sided divorce petition in history. Yeah. But, you know, she does that book after she's been told about the tape. The Higgins and co. sit on that tape for over two years, but she knows they have it. So that affects her behaviour. Well, I think it was a smoking gun. Yeah. She, it was a smoking gun, but of course... You know, at the end of the day, if you listen to the actual tape, it's quite clear it's over um, in 89. You know, it's it's over. It's, they're going nowhere. But it doesn't mean that I that she'd stop loving Charles, because I actually believe that if she could have felt she could have won him back, she would have done. Yeah. Uh, but I think she knew she was on a... That Diana, that, you know, Charles and Camilla loved each other. It's, it's a great love story rather than one of... It, to me, it shows you that they, they you know... Yes, and she so supported him. They, they, they were right for each other. And if you only look at them now, she's 70, mid-70s, hit mid-70s. I see them operating on the world stage. They complement each other. Mm. No, I agree. And you can, I always think from the, the sex tape, what's most significant is the way she talks to him about the speech. Because there you see how the, the real dynamics of the relationship and how the, you know, he needs this that kind of support, work, validation. He's a workaholic. Uh, you know, Phil, you know, this is a man who would be agonised until two o'clock in the morning with a yellow poster sticker as his son said goodnight to him. He's just slumped on his on his desk writing his speeches that, you know, really matter to him. And, and that's why in the books that I've done on him, I've tried to avoid I mean, this one I've done on our king. I've obviously, I mean, in the, the, the book I did, Charles the Seventy, I basically didn't really want to go over the whole Diana years and tampons and stuff like this, because I actually think it trivialises the man, it trivialises his what he is, and if we all got judged by things that we did that we don't want people to know, then actually our life's works would be pretty bad, because we've all driven by other things. But what I, what I would say is that in the new book, I've, I've definitely included, in that book, I, I just included the stuff about more and more about what he does today and the interviews I did, did with him, but also, you know, what went wrong with the marriage and why, because I had new information and, I, and how he didn't really want to get married in the first place was very strong. Um, but this book, I've actually gone 
our king, I've taken it from chronologically, and obviously there's a lot more of Diana in there. And as a result, I think it's an easier read. Um, but I've tried not to focus too much, again, on stuff that we've gone over and over and over again. Um, and because I do believe that Diana was quite happy to trivialise um, what actually his work is very important. I think some of the things that he's, he's developed over the years to do with the environment, sustainability, all of these areas, really, when he was being seen as a, a, a loony, really, after I mean, when they were saying he was talking to his plants and all this, all of this stuff actually is unfair because I think he's been ahead of head of the field and it's an important part of, the, of what we are today as people. And do you think he'd be a great king? I mean, do you think that in some ways the past is forgotten and people are looking at him, as you say, realising now how far-sighted he was, how brave he was in many ways? I think that the most important thing that he has to do here as king, I don't think it's possible for him to be in the time he's got to be a great king. I don't even know what that can be anymore because the days of Henry V or Henry VIII <laughs> even are, you know, gone. And, you know, and even the days of Edward the Seventh, when, you know, Entente Cordial and everything that happened pre the war has changed. The, the role of the monarch now has changed. They're less political than they were in Victoria's time. But I do think that he, that what he has to do here is to modernise in terms of making it more cost-effective. And he has to have it prepared for his son, William, in the 21st century. Would he be a great king? I think he's already shown that, as Prince of Wales, he was always, in a way, had to always seem to try to prove himself. Um, some of his controversial comments were part of that, you know, to get some sort of uh, reaction from people. I've noticed since he's been king that actually he's, he's, there's an aura around him which comes with the role which comes with the position. So you're combining the person. The personality is less important. Whereas he would be making speeches about sustainability, that's important, yeah. But he'd be more to do with convening people. I was at a reception at Buckingham Palace quite recently. We're all ahead of the COP27, which he wasn't allowed to go to um, because the, the, the wise and wonderful Liz Trust decided it was a good idea, even though he was due to go. Um, he, so he's and the, grown into and the, the role, really. Sorry, yeah, he's grown so I, role. I think the role has grown in, is enveloped him as well. And everyone around him is, you know, he's got all of the, everything that, that made the Queen look like she was the swan on the, on the lake, you know, with the, the, everything around him, the apparatus is now working for him. Um, and, and, and I Camilla, think that makes a Camilla about to be crowned, you know, who'd, who'd have seen that coming? You think people are taking her to their hearts now and all of the old stuff? know about that. I, I mean, I don't know about whether they take it to hearts, but you know, if if you're married, you know, uh, your wife is called, you know, Mrs. Craig or Miss, Mrs. Lowney, uh, Mrs. Jobson, you know, and if you're the king, if you suddenly don't call a queen consort, um, then it's sort of reducing the role. Just, I mean, I think wasn't it? Um, you know, if you're a president, just because you've been married twice, like uh, I think Gerald Ford was married, uh, his wife was. Betty Ford was married before. She wasn't called the second lady. She was called the first lady. You know, that's the... So, in my opinion, it's all to do with the, the status. So, it's very important when you... And I think people don't understand, which is weird, because it's just always surprised me. You know, the Queen Mother was the Queen Consort. Princess Alex, Queen Mary was a Queen Consort. Queen Alexandra was the Queen Consort. They're not the Queen Regnant, like the Queen Elizabeth II, who has the same status as the sovereign as the, as the king. Oh. And the whole reason, historically, why... 
say the Queen's husband, the Queen, you know, Prince Philip wasn't king, or Prince Albert wasn't king, it's because Parliament, that you know, basically still runs the show, didn't want a man being king with a with a Queen regularly position because he'd hold too much power. They thought in those days. God oh. alone only knows what that means now when you know we identify as different. We can identify as a penguin. I don't know, but the fact is, you know. That's what happened in, in history. So the Queen Consort role, I wrote when I broke the story back in 2005 that Charles married Camillo, she, she could be Princess of Wales, but she'll take the title Duchess of Con, uh, to Cornwall, and when he is crowned, she will be Queen Consort. That was all in the evening stand in 2005. You can go and put it out of the thing, and it's still the same. Remember Are there any well? icebergs ahead? Anything you should be worried about? Are there any icebergs ahead? I mean, anything that might destabilize the monarchy or uh, uh, well, overshadow the coronation? Uh, happy ending for Camilla. Well, uh, Harry and Meghan have not been brilliant. They've done a pretty good job at that. You know, the, the stars of, um, uh, of South Park. But no, I think they've done a pretty good job. But it just shows you that, you know, Harry in his book, Spare, wrote about how, oh my gosh, it's you know, how outrageous about the hierarchy. Well, there's been a hierarchy in the, in the monarchy since 10... 66 of William the Conqueror. None of us remember the third in line or the fifth in line to the throne, you know, over the years. The point of it is, Harry knew the score, but he just wanted, it's all about money, you know. That's how, how, it... how would you deal with someone like Harry and Meghan if ignore you were them. advising? I'd say you, you have to ignore them? them. Yeah, absolutely, invite them. And then, you know, put them put them right at the back of the book, with, you know, with the back of the stage, know, and they know their place. Right, behind a pillar. Yeah, shall we say, if you were buying a football ticket, they'd have a obscured view. <laughs> right. and maybe funny. air traffic controllers could be working to delay their flight. Well, look, what, one, one uh, last I mean, question. The funny thing is, it's Archie's, you know, these things all come together. It's Archie's birthday the same day. I mean, what do they want? You know, they're saying there's certain demands. This is a historic moment. It's the moment of the king's destiny. What on earth are they worrying about, you know, Prince Harry's son's birthday? That's a private matter. Buy him a cake. He's only a baby. You know, this is a historic moment in the history of, uh, of the king. It's the moment of his destiny. It's about the relationship between the sovereign and the people and the, and the church. It is nothing to do with three-year-olds and four-year-olds having their birthday. Okay, final question, Rob, is I know you're going to lunch, and I remember, because we've had a few lunches, that you take that very seriously as a part of your job. So I don't no, want to stop you. Yeah, when, they, when they were paid for, Phil. When they we were paid for then. Those were the days. But final question, just going back to Camilla, you think she deserves her happy ending? I think you should read. Re- re- I, I believe, I believe as we're talking about Camilla, that she's done a terrific job. And I absolutely believe that she's the best supporter to the King. And does she deserve happiness? Yes, she does. Brilliant. Well, I think the great British public probably are exactly where you are on this now. Yeah. I'm not sure that many people really know Camilla, um, but she's funny. She's honest. And I think also she's a, she's she's somebody that um, if you were if you were locked in a in a in a bar with you'd have a great chat with and you'd have a a real giggle which you can't say that about every member of the royal family. 
Very true. Well, I think they'd be very clever because they've, they've tried to introduce her through popular television programs, and we've got a sense of her there. They've, they've, she's much more prepared to, to, to go out in front of the camera than clearly has been the case up till now. Well, the one thing she's got, Andrew, Phil, is if you meet her, and I've been lucky enough to... I mean, I'm, I'll tell you a story. A quick story here is we were in um, Crete, and I'd been working... I was working on my book on the Kings, uh, on Prince of Wales, and so I was doing all of his jobs. And I think he would do like nine or ten jobs in a day, you know, and just like continually working. Whereas the, the, the Duchess, as she was, the Queen, uh, she would stagger her role, and, and, it, always, and it ended up in a... Um, there was nobody else there apart from me and one photographer, and she was at a vineyard, visiting this organic vineyard in the middle of Crete, run by this family for over 120 years. Well, she invites me down, and we start having a few... She says, you know, do you want to join us do the wine tasting, Robert? So I said, sit down, so well, absolutely. And, you know, is there any cheese as well? So we're both sitting there, enjoying it with the private secretary, drinking, and it was very relaxed. And I thought, that's a very smart move, but it wasn't done like that. It was done out of genuine. Would you like to see it was a hot day? Would you like to have a drink? And we'll sit down here and do this job. And it was the whole thing was very relaxed. You know, her protection officer was there. You know, he was what very relaxed. And she, I think, is somebody who realizes the media has played an important role in in the way that it can shape the narrative. And she's not doing it necessarily, I think, because oh, here come the media men, let's butter them up. She's an open person, and I think she's a a decent person. I think no wonder that, and she's funny, and she has a twinkle in her eye. And in her mid seventies, as she is now, she still has that twinkle in her eye. And I can see why the Prince of Wales, the King, has relied on her so well. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. We have to go, Andrew. I'm afraid the clock is right. ticking. But enjoy your lunch. Very, very nice to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Scandalmongers podcast. This has been a podcast world production. You can get in contact with our show by emailing team at podcastworld.org, placing Scandalmongers in the heading, or via our social media links within the show's bio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.